Happy Easter. Hope you found your way to some coffee, either iced or hot, uh, and hope you found your way to a donut. You know, we only have 50 dozen, so you want to pace yourself this morning. I mean, if we don't eat them here, I got to take them home, and even though I do have seven kids who would love to eat nothing but donuts for the rest of the week, you know, I'd rather we enjoy them here together, right? Well, Time uh, Magazine recently had a cover story that I thought was pretty interesting. The cover said, How to Live Longer Better. And it sounds a little bit like clickbait, but it was actually a really interesting set of articles. Uh, They talked about all kinds of different ways that people engage in the hopes that they'll live longer lives. Everything from uh, swimming in frigid, icy waters to a mythical anti-aging pill, all those sorts of things. I don't know how effective uh, an icy swim would be, but I will give you one free tip how to live longer. Don't try to eat the whole donut wall today. That's my advice to you. Uh, But there was one part of the magazine that caught my attention. One article asked the question, do religious people live longer? I thought, well, that's interesting. And the answer is actually pretty surprising. There's apparently a number of studies that uh, indicate some kind of correlation between regularly attending religious services and living longer. Who knew? Uh, One pretty comprehensive study from the Journal of the AMA, that's the American Medical Medical Association, uh, It showed that women in particular who went to religious services once a week lived 33% longer than women who didn't. How about that? I don't know what the correlation is or what the connection is, but it's pretty interesting stuff, you know. And uh, this morning, I'm not going to guarantee that your presence here is going to result in longer life. I can't guarantee that. But I do want to share a story about a couple of folks who, who lived longer than they should have. A couple of people who beat the odds, you might say, and had their lives extended. And the story I want to share with you comes from the Gospel of John. John is a friend of Jesus. He was an eyewitness to Jesus and uh, followed Jesus around. And so he's got a reliable account of Jesus' life and ministry. He, He followed Jesus. He heard Jesus' teaching saw things that Jesus did, and he wrote these things down. And, and even though it's a true and factual account, like any writing, it's got a, a structure, it's got an organization, and it has a purpose. And, and part of the structure is uh, John writes his story around seven different statements that Jesus makes, seven specific statements Jesus makes about his identity. For example, uh, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd at one point. He says, I am the light of the world at another point. And so these, these moments, I am, and Jesus says something about his identity, John organizes the book around you know, factual events, but organizes around those seven statements. And there's another way that John organizes his book. He organizes it around seven things that Jesus does, seven miraculous things. Uh, uh, for example, Jesus turns water into wine. That's pretty amazing. I can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. So it's a miracle. And so John organizes his account of Jesus' life around these seven statements and these seven miracles. And but I told you John's writing with a purpose. And uh, these seven statements, these seven miracles have a purpose. In fact, Jesus calls the miracles signs because a sign is just a miracle with a purpose, uh, like a road sign or something like that. It, it tells you uh, not just about the sign, but it tells you about something else. You know, you want to know where the restrooms are. The sign points you to the restrooms, right? So these miracles, they don't just uh, point you to the miraculous event. Wow, that's amazing. But they point you to something about Jesus, something about his identity and about his purpose. And so this morning, I want us to look at one particular sign and one particular statement by Jesus that show us what Jesus can do. And then I want to talk about what Jesus did. 
And finally, I want to share with you what Jesus can do for you. So that's our roadmap this morning. What Jesus can do, what Jesus did, and then what Jesus can do for you. So we're going to start with what Jesus can do. And I told, I told you we've been uh, looking at the Gospel of John. If you want to follow along, it comes from John chapter 11. Chapter 11. And the story starts off this way. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So that's how the story starts. Kind of a, a sour note, a foreboding note. There's this man who's sick. And if you read other parts of the book of John, you know that, that Lazarus is actually a pretty good friend of Jesus. He spent a lot of time with Lazarus and with his sisters, Mary and Martha. They were close. And so when Lazarus gets sick, Mary and Martha, his sisters, they know exactly what to do. Uh, they tell Jesus. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They want Jesus to know that Lazarus is sick. And he's not just like, hey, uh, you might cut out of work a little early. You don't look so good sick. He's like, hey, get this guy to a hospital immediately. He's not going to make it much longer kind of sick. He's very sick. So they want Jesus to know, not just because Jesus loves them, but they want him to know because Jesus can do something for him. So they think they know what Jesus can do, right? They spend enough time around Jesus. They've seen him do some pretty amazing things. And so they send word to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick and you can do something. I mean, they're not even specific with their requests, right? But they know Jesus loves him and Jesus is the guy who can do things. And so they tell him. And so they're worried about Jesus, but they do what they can do. They tell the guy who can do things. They tell Jesus, right? Well, Jesus, he's not worried at all. He knows even better than they do what he can do. He's not worried about Lazarus' sickness. In fact, he tells the disciples something kind of weird. He says, this sickness will not end in death. He says, don't worry about it. Lazarus, he's fine. Instead, he says, this sickness has a purpose. He says, no, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So Jesus is not worried because he understands there's something bigger happening here. He says, Lazarus got sick for a reason, so that I can perform a sign, a miracle with a purpose. He says, something that shows what I can do and really ultimately then who I am. Jesus knows that he's God's son and he knows he can do something about Lazarus that will demonstrate who he is. He's going to do a miracle with a purpose. And so Jesus, even though he's really good friends with Lazarus, really good friends with Mary and Martha, he doesn't do anything. The guy who can do things does nothing yet. The next part of the story says, uh, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? I mean, if, if your best friend found out that you got rushed to the hospital and you may or may not make it, and they didn't do anything for two days, you'd be mad right? Or hurt. But that's what Jesus does. He doesn't do anything. And so I think John, uh, in this next verse, makes a point to tell us, he says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He makes sure to tell us that Jesus loved them. He's not a lack of care. You know, just because he's not doing anything doesn't indicate a lack of care. So don't be confused that Jesus' inaction means he doesn't care. You know, sometimes we think, when bad things happen, we think, where is God? What's happening? Why is this happening? And, and I think it's because sometimes we fail to see 
what God sees. There's a bigger story being written here. Something bigger is happening. And when we're in pain, when we're in a crisis, that's all we can focus on. That's all we can see. And that's normal. I mean, all of us do that. But, but Jesus makes a point to tell his disciples, hey, there's something bigger happening here. I'm not worried about Lazarus because I see the bigger picture. He, he sees something bigger for them. And he sees something bigger for you and I, something bigger for this faith family, something bigger for our valley, something bigger for the whole world. The guy who can do things is about to do something amazing. And he wants to do something amazing in your life and my life too. But he works in his own ways and in his own timing. So don't mistake God's lack of action for a lack of care. God sees and he knows and he's at work even when we can't see what he's doing. Well, finally, Jesus tells his disciples, it's time. Time to go see Lazarus. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples, you know, they're not always the sharpest knives in the drawer. You know, I grew up in Texas. My grandma used to say about people like this, they're one sandwich short of a picnic, right? So they don't really understand exactly what Jesus is saying. They offer him some helpful advice. I mean, anytime you give Jesus advice, you know that's going to work out well for you, right? So he said, they say, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. I mean, everybody knows that, Jesus. You get a little rest, maybe some chicken soup. You'll be back on your feet in no time. But thankfully, Jesus, he's a really patient fellow, and he, he says this. It, the story says, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Right? He just has to spell it out for them. And, and when he says asleep, he really means dead. And in just the fact that Jesus knows that, that's its own sign, because the only way he would know that without going to see Lazarus is because he's God, and he, he can see things that, that we can't see. And so Jesus knows there's something bigger happening, a bigger story being written here, and he tells his disciples that. He tells them why he's waited to go. The next verse, uh, verse 15, Jesus says, For your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. Jesus tells them the purpose he had in waiting. He knows that what he can do has a purpose, to help people believe in him. And in fact, that's the reason I'm sharing the story with you this morning, to help you believe in Jesus. And in a few moments, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to what Jesus can do for you. Because just like Lazarus, you and I, we can go through life asleep, spiritually speaking, dead, right? But Jesus, he's the only one who can wake us up. That's what he can do. So the story continues. Jesus goes to see Lazarus, and it turns out that Lazarus, he's not just a little bit asleep. He's not just mostly dead. He's been dead for four days. So he's not just at the end of hope. He's past hope. You can't even see hope from where Lazarus is. There's really nothing else to do for the guy at this point. And so Jesus' friend, Martha, Lazarus' sister, comes out to talk to Jesus, and she's lost hope. She no longer thinks of Jesus as the guy who can do things. She says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knows that Jesus could have done something, but she has no idea what's coming next. And so Jesus goes to tell her. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she, she agrees with Jesus, sort of, right? She knows at some point in the future, there's going to be this great day of reckoning where all the dead people will rise and stand before God and be judged. She knows that. That's what she's been taught. That's what the Old Testament taught. 
And it's kind of like a person today that says, you know, uh, I don't understand how it all works, but I know that God's going to work it all out in the end, and I'm just going to try and be good. You know, that's kind of like Martha's attitude. Well, the problem with that attitude is not so much that it's, that it's incorrect, it's that it's just not helpful at all. It's just unsatisfying. I mean, if the only hope that she has to hold on to in this time of grief is that at some vague point in the distant future, there's going to be this resurrection, well, where's the hope in that? Where's the comfort that comes from that? It's totally unsatisfying. If the only thing that you and I have to hold on to in our lives is, yeah, you know, I'm trying to be a good enough person, hope that my good outweighs my bad, Where's the joy in that? Where's the hope that comes from that? See, Jesus, though, he loves Lazarus, and he loves Martha and Mary, and he loves you and me, and he wants to be a real comfort and hope. And so that's why he doesn't let us stay in just this place of general, unsatisfying belief. He wants to be a real help, and that's why Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asks her this bold question. Do you believe what I can do? He challenges her not just to general belief. Yeah, yeah, I go to church sometimes. Yeah, I believe in God. Everybody believes in God, right? No, he challenges her to believe in him. Specifically, who he is and what he can do. Do you believe this, he says. And I told you John organizes his book around these statements and around these signs, these miracles with a purpose. And this is the statement. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's the statement of Jesus' identity, what Jesus can do. And so next comes the sign. And remember, a sign, it's a miracle with a purpose. So Jesus goes to the tomb, to the place where Lazarus is buried, and he tells them, take away the stone. And everybody's like, whoa, time out, Jesus. Martha says, he's been dead for four days. By this time, there's a bad odor. I mean, this is Israel, it's hot, it's like desert, and... Uh, you know, even in a dark cave, four days, you're going to decompose quite a bit. If you grew up going to church, if you ever read the old-fashioned King James translation, I love what it says here. Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> he stinketh. Well, guess what? So do you, and so do I. We stinketh, right? Spiritually speaking, we're not just at the end of hope, we're past hope. We stinketh. But Jesus, he's not afraid of your stink. He says, take away the stone. He says, you don't have to hide behind that anymore. I'm coming in after you. All your stink, it doesn't turn Jesus away. It doesn't scare him off. All your junk that you've got, he's not bothered by that. He says, take away the stone. Take away the stone that says, man, I've always been this way. I'm never going to change. Take away the stone. Take away that stone that said, well, if people knew the real me, well, guess what? Jesus knows the real you, and he's still coming in after you. He says, take away the stone. Jesus wants to give you new life. That's what Jesus can do. So here's Jesus. He's standing outside of Lazarus' tomb, and he's crying. 
He's, he's deeply moved, in part because he loves Lazarus, and in part because he's just uh, sad about all the stink in the world, all the things that lead to sickness and death. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So Jesus, he's weeping and he's praying. And then here comes the sign, the miracle with the purpose. Jesus, he's praying out loud. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So he tells the purpose right here. He wants people to see that what he's about to do so that people may believe that Jesus is the one sent by God. That's his purpose. He wants to give everybody new life in the way that he's about to give Lazarus new life. That's what Jesus can do, give new life that comes from believing in him. And here we get to the climax of the story. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. This is my favorite part. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I mean, why did Jesus have to say that? Wouldn't it be obvious this guy's stumbling around with a cloth on his face, you know? But I can just imagine everybody just standing there like... (laughs) Finally, Jesus is like, go help him out, right, you know? So Jesus performs this sign, this miracle with a purpose to show who he is and what he can do. He has power over death. But I told you we're going to talk about what Jesus can do, what Jesus did, and what Jesus can do for you. And so Jesus demonstrates with this sign, raising Lazarus from the dead, what he can do. He has power over death, power to give new life to people who are dead, physically dead or spiritually dead. And so let's talk about what Jesus did. Just a few weeks later, uh, after he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus was arrested. He was put on trial. He was executed and he was, he was crucified because he claimed to be God. So Jesus died. And yet he's already demonstrated that he has power over death. He can give new life to a person who's dead. So let's read what happens. John chapter 20, just a few chapters later. Early on, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, this is the tomb of Jesus, and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. So this is John's record when he says the other disciple. He's talking about himself, right? So he and Peter hear from Mary, different Mary, not Lazarus' sister, by the way. They hear from Mary that the tomb is empty. And they go in to investigate for themselves. And Peter checks it out. He's not sure what to make of it. But John looks around. He sees this tomb. He sees the stone that's been taken away. He sees grave clothes that are lying there empty. And he remembers. He's seen all this stuff before. He knows what's happened. He understands that Jesus can give new life. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He died, but he rose again. 
Jesus can give new life. He proved it with Lazarus, and Jesus did it again with himself. John, he sees all this stuff, and he understands. That's why it tells us he saw and believed. That's Jesus' ultimate purpose. That's why he performed the sign of raising Lazarus from the dead, and that's why he himself was raised from the dead, so that you and I would believe in him. So we talked about what Jesus can do. He can give new life. We talked about what Jesus did. He himself was given new life by God, raised from the dead. So let's talk about what Jesus wants to do for you. And for that, I want to take us back to the story of Lazarus. Right after Lazarus walks out of the grave, listen to what John says next. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Remember, there's a lot of people gathered here, not just friends of Lazarus and family members, that kind of thing, but there's a crowd of people that just followed Jesus around, waiting to see what he would do next, right? But notice, after seeing what Jesus can do, it says many of the folks who were gathered believed in Jesus. Not all, many. Some of these folks still don't know what to make of everything, right? And it just highlights to me the fact that each and every one of us has to make our own decision. Jesus, he's done what he can do, and now it's up to you and I to take him up on his offer of new life. After Jesus' own resurrection, some of his disciples, the people who were closest to him, still had trouble believing. You've probably heard of Doubting Thomas, right? He was one of Jesus' disciples. He was there when Lazarus was given new life. But he wasn't there when Jesus himself was resurrected. He was in hiding, afraid that, hey, if they arrested Jesus, what are they going to do to me? So he was, he was hiding. And, and so when Peter and John come in to tell the other disciples what they've seen, that Jesus' tomb is empty, he doesn't believe. And Jesus then appears to the disciples, but Thomas isn't with them. So even after they share what's happened, they, they, all they saw Jesus, uh, you know, they saw Jesus, then Thomas still doesn't believe. Listen to what it says, John chapter 20. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Thomas has one more chance, one more encounter with Jesus, an opportunity to believe. That's Jesus' purpose in the first place, so that others would believe in him. And Jesus doesn't come and and scold him or shame him. He just comes with an offer. Take a look. Here I am. And notice what Jesus says at the end. He tells Thomas, you believe because you saw me, but what a better blessing awaits those people who haven't seen me and yet have believed. Well, that's you and I. We can't see Jesus in the same way that Thomas can. We can't reach out and touch Jesus. But we can see what he can do. We can see what he did. And we can believe. We can have new life that comes from believing in him. What a blessing that is. And that's Jesus' 
purpose, his ultimate purpose. That's why he performs this sign, this miracle that has a purpose. And John sums up the purpose perfectly. Right at the end of the story about Thomas, John says he writes all these signs down for a reason. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose, so that you and I might believe and have new life. And that's my purpose in sharing the story with you this morning. It's all about uh, new life. That's what Easter is about. It's about taking all the terrible things, death, sickness, all the stink, and it's about rolling the stone away, about giving those things new life. That's why we got flowers everywhere, even flowers up on the cross. Jesus brings new life to things that have been dead, even they've been dead for a very long time. That's why Jesus makes this statement we read earlier. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus offers new life. He wants you to take off your grave clothes. Take away the stone. Stop living dead. Wake up to a new life. And the way to do that is simply to believe in him, to believe that Jesus is the one God sent. And so I'll just ask you the same question that Jesus asks. Do you believe this? Do you believe in Jesus? I'm going to give each and every one of us a chance to answer that question. You don't have to come up here. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to do any kind of weird ritual. All you have to do is believe. And you can do it right where you are. In just a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. And as we have our heads bowed, if you're ready to believe, you could just talk to God right where you're sitting. And he can hear you even without you having to say anything out loud. So let's all just take a moment to bow our heads. And if you're a person who already believes in Jesus, that's wonderful. That's something to celebrate this morning especially. You can thank God that he sent Jesus Thank him for what he's done for you. Thank him for the the great cost that he went to to give you new life. And you could pray for people who you know who need the new life that Jesus has given to you. But if you're a person who doesn't yet believe, I just want to give you time to reflect on what we've talked about today. I mean, the whole point of Easter, the whole purpose of the resurrection is so that you would believe in Jesus. And Jesus, he's not going to force you into that. I'm not going to force you into that. Each of us has to make our own decision. But if you're ready to make that decision, all you have to do is just talk to God. You can use your own words and just pray something like this. Say, God, I know i got a lot of stink in my life, a lot of junk, things I've been trying to deal with, and, and really I realize now I can't fix all that stuff on my own. I need you. I need new life that comes from you. I believe that Jesus is the one God sent, and I want him to be in my life. Thank you, God. Amen. So we're almost done. Just a couple of things I want to encourage you with. First, if you're a person who just made that decision, a person who, who's made a decision to follow Jesus, then you should let somebody know. You could tell me afterwards here in a few minutes. You could tell me. You could tell the person you came with. Or you can uh, just mark it on your connection card. There's a special place on there that you can mark that. And we want to celebrate that with you. We've got something that we'd love to share with you if, if you're a person who's, who's put your faith in Jesus. And the second thing, I want each of us to respond the same way that Lazarus responds. If you keep reading in the Gospel of John, you see what Lazarus did. He celebrated. 
He had a big dinner party and he invited all of his friends and he invited Jesus. Because that's what you do. When you've been given new life, you invite Jesus into your space. That's what Lazarus did. If you become a follower of Jesus, invite Jesus into your space. Tell your friends what, what's happened. The story goes on to say that the, the crowd who saw Lazarus' new life, they continue to spread the word about Jesus. That's what we should do. Tell people what Jesus has done for us. A third thing I want to encourage you with is something that's happening right here next Sunday. We're offering something we call Starting Point. You heard about it in our video announcements earlier. And if you're a person who's uh, new to the faith, or you're just checking things out still, or maybe you're coming back to church after a long time away, Starting Point is a really, really helpful environment. Just a casual, conversational environment. You can ask questions. You can get information. And and, uh, I would love for you to come to Starting Point next Sunday. Just a great place to come and, and just explore things in a safe way. And if you're interested, just mark your connection card so we can make sure we have materials for you. And that would be helpful. Finally, one more thing I want to share with you. We've got a free resource that uh, you may want to take advantage of. If you're a person who's still just not sure about Jesus, about this whole thing, that's okay. You're in a, you're in a good place for that. We're happy to have you with us as you journey through that. And I encourage you just to, to lean into that, lean into your questions and, and things like that. And, and we've got this little booklet that might be helpful to you. It's called Why Jesus? Pretty self-explanatory title. It's just a little booklet full of information and kind of common questions and answers and things like that that, and you could pick that up in our guest services center out there in the lobby in just a minute. So uh, some things that you can take advantage of. Uh, as we wrap up, you know, just one more reminder. Jesus makes this statement, and he demonstrates a sign that shows what he can do. He can give new life. And so Jesus says to each and every one of us, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. God, we are grateful for what you've done for us. You have power over death. And uh, each and every one of us has at least one thing in common, that we all face death. And yet we know that belief in you gives us the ability to have not just life here and now, but life eternal. And we want that, Lord. We want to be celebrating with you what you've done for us, what you can do in our lives. I pray that you would encourage each and every one of us to embrace the life that you've given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.